Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor, uh, filling in for your normal host, Michael the Pod Pina this week. I'm Sports Illustrated staff writer Rohan Natrani. I'm really excited today to be joined by my old friend, uh, Chicago's most eligible bachelor, uh, our resident draft expert at Sports Illustrated, SI staff writer Jeremy Wu. Wu, what's going on, man? Yo, uh, it's the morning after the draft. I'm really tired. Um, how, how much coffee did you have last night? I'm excited for you. I, this honestly, is, this, is, the, this is what you prepare for all year. Honestly, no, no coffee. Uh, I had high coffee yesterday morning. Um, I don't usually drink it at night. I was the, the draft night itself is always like such a rush because there's just a lot of stuff happening really quick. So it's like you can't really, even if you're tired, you can't like. It's one of those things. It's like adrenaline kind of at this point because you're the way you know the cycle is just so like long. It takes the whole year. It builds up to like one day. Uh, you know, this whole week you're kind of just working the whole time. At least for for me, I am. And then you know, boom, it's over, and you're wrong about half the stuff that you thought you knew. Uh, <laughs> so you know, you just I, I declare it's kind of like being a gladiator. It's like you go in, and you probably know you're going to die anyway, but it's for the glory. It's not for the- <laughs> there we go <laughs> for the glory. Yeah. Well, we have a yeah. ton of ton of draft stuff I want to get to. Uh, first, I just want to remind our listeners. First of all, thank you for sticking with us this week uh, with Michael out. I know everyone misses him. I miss him. He's on vacation. Uh, he hasn't talked to me either, so you know we're all in the same boat there. Uh, but please keep those emails coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. We love the emails. Uh, Jeremy, there's so much I want to get to with you. First, can you tell me a little bit about what your setup is like on draft night? Is your phone blowing up the whole night? Are you even watching the draft coverage? Are you just following Twitter? How do you how do you take in the draft? Yeah, so typically, and this is, I guess, like the, I want to say the fourth or fifth draft I've done 
uh, like full time. So like usually, you know, I'm doing the live reaction. So I'm set up with my laptop. I'm writing. Uh, I'm also at the same time texting as many people as possible, trying to figure <laughs> out what's going on. Uh, every now and then I get lucky and I break a pick. Uh, which honestly I don't care about. I just find it entertaining <laughs> to, to try. And if someone is like, "Oh, here goes," okay, thanks. It's not like I, it's not like a point of pride for me. I just do it because it's funny. Um, but <laughs> so, so I'm doing that, and I'm, I'm trying to break down the picks, and I'm also trying to keep track of what's going on. And so usually the way I do it is, you know, I'll have the TV on in the background, but I'm like, it might as well be on mute, right? It's just background, right? Uh, and then I have my phone next to me, uh, and I have Twitter alerts on on my phone. Uh, for, you know, people who break news too, so I can at least see, you know, if I don't get something that I can just, it's an easy, handy way to like scroll down the list and be like, oh, here's the order of what just happened. Uh, so I use that to like stay organized. Um, but it's, it's, it's not too bad. It's just chaotic. Um, right. And it, you know, but, and another thing is you always forget how long the draft takes because the second round feels like it takes forever. Well, yeah, because people like me watch the lottery and they're yeah. like, all right, we're good to go. But then there's yeah. a whole, you know, second half of the first round and a second round, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it feels longer than, yeah, especially when you get to like 25, 26, and you're like, just tell me what's going to happen. I don't, <laughs> you know, yeah. Just simulate to the end, like on 2K, <laughs> you know, you're just like, tell me the yeah, results. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you made your pick and just fast forward. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Let the CPU handle the rest. So if you follow SI's draft coverage at all, you guys know Jeremy's all over this stuff. You've seen you know, his mock drafts. Uh, you know about every prospect. It's incredible. I, I'm so in awe of the work you do on the draft because I know nothing about the draft until like a weekend, and then I just read everything you've done over the course of the year, and I feel up to date. But before we even get to the prospects, we had a major trade in the NBA last night. Somehow, I, I think, not flying under the radar, but it doesn't feel like the, the shockwave it should be, and we'll get to why, I guess. But the Lakers, uh, my hometown Los Angeles Lakers, Trading for Russell Westbrook, uh, giving up Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and a first-round pick that the Wizards turned into Aaron Holiday. Uh, the Lakers get Russell Westbrook and multiple second-round picks. Wu, did you like have an idea about this deal coming at all? Uh, what was your reaction? Uh, just tell me everything you felt when you, when you heard about this going down. Yeah, so I knew it was possible because I had heard earlier in the week that you know, Westbrook wanted to go to LA. Uh, not enough to report anything about it, but, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I had an inkling that right uh, something was going on there. Um, and for a minute, it felt like Bradley Beal was going to be the bigger story, but I think Westbrook wanted to jump ship first. Uh, so it, I almost forgot that the trade happened. Like I, I <laughs> after the draft, I was like, oh wow, yeah, that you know, just trying to recap what was going on, trying to process. Um, and it's kind of just funny because it's like I, I, I think just. I would say with Westbrook in particular, it just feels like he's not as exciting of a name as he once was. And his contract is so big and, you know, one hand it's just like, oh, okay. But at the same time, you know, it is the Lakers. It is a big deal. Um, because they had to, I think they knew they had to do something. I don't think they're done. Like, I think they had pretty big plans of free agency. I don't know, you know, what, um, you know, having Westbrook is going to, you know, meaning for the rest of their stuff, you know, I haven't, I haven't had the time to like look at their mm-hmm. salaries and stuff, but 
uh, it is a significant addition, uh, you know, to their team. Uh, you know, can he fit with LeBron? Can he fit with Anthony Davis? I think so, because generally, just if you have guys who are that good, and LeBron is proving this theory time and again, too. Just when he's in the game, like, it's usually fine. So, um, all the supporting cast guys going out, you know, I honestly haven't had that much time to even think about it. Um, but for the Lakers, I think it's a step in the right direction because they had to do something, because if they ran it back, it wasn't gonna, nothing was going to change. So one of the things being talked about leading up to that trade was they might be sending a similar package to Sacramento for Buddy Heald. Now, because of like complicated league rules, et cetera, salary things, draft things, this deal can't be official official until uh, a week or so into free agency. I think around August 6th is when it needs to be official, is when it can be official. A Memphis trade needs to happen first, et cetera. Some people think maybe Buddy Heald can still be involved uh, the Lakers still have Dennis Schroeder, who maybe could be used as a trade chip and a sign-and-trade, et cetera. Are you hearing anything on the Buddy Heald front? Any any idea what's going on there? Uh, I don't. Um, I also – obviously, that was reported that that was possible. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my guess is that – I mean, unless there's another team that wants to take Schroeder, I don't, I don't know that – that's, uh, I mean, just off the top of my head, I, I don't know if that's something that can happen it, just like as a straight sign and trade because right. the Kings have so many guards, they're not going to take Schroeder. And, <laughs> right. Um, you know, clearly they, they might have been more interested in the other stuff. Uh, so I, I don't know. I would just assume that that's, you know, something else for now, like not necessarily imminent or going to happen. Um, but that's just totally me just trying to guess, it, you know, right. the, the logic, well, the I flow mean- of it. Yeah. One thing that is always difficult to do with the Kings is apply logic. Uh, one could have said they had too many guards even before the draft, and then they go ahead and draft. Another one, I'll just say about the Westbrook trade, I do not think it was a great move for the Lakers, and it's pretty risky considering LeBron right now is two years left on his contract. He's going to be 37 this season. You you can't afford to waste a day of LeBron's career at this point. Is the, even though he was playing at an MVP level last year, showed no signs of slowing down unless you want to you know, count kind of that freak ankle injury. I don't know, man. I think it's a risk. I, I think Westbrook can help them a lot during the regular season if they're trying to pace LeBron and AD. Westbrook never paces himself. That, that's not his style of play. I just think of back to the bubble when the Lakers played the Rockets in the playoffs and they were doubling off Russell Westbrook. Uh, to throw doubles at James Harden and basically just ignoring Russell Westbrook on the perimeter. This is a team that struggles with shooting. I I believe 10th worst three-point percentage in the regular season last year. And now they're trying to fold Westbrook into it. Is Davis going to commit to... The only way this works is if Anthony Davis commits to playing center, LeBron commits to playing power forward, and they can bring in two other shooters. But we haven't seen AD commit to that his entire career. He hasn't committed to it with the Lakers, even though that's been their best lineup. And I'm a little worried because I think Heald would have made a lot more sense. And now the Lakers are down to basically no trade assets left unless some team wants to take on Schroeder. I don't know, man. I, I When I saw that trade, I was like, I just don't know how Russell Westbrook fits into a championship context anymore. That that's what I'm worried about is I don't I don't understand how you build a title winning team around him. Obviously he's talented, but he, he's just such a difficult puzzle piece because of his lack of shooting, because of how much control he wants to exert. I, I don't see him and LeBron coexisting down the stretch of a fourth quarter. I don't know. I the more I think about it, the more I, I 
I'm worried about this trade for the Lakers. Yeah, uh, honestly, like I'm a little bit more optimistic about it just because I think they had to do something, uh, mm-hmm. and the the market for you know really there, there wasn't as much of a market for like really good players, right? So they're and they're not giving up anything of like considerable future worth to get him, right? So I don't think I don't think the risk is is that high. I mean, the, the number twenty two pick that they traded, you know, objectively was not a crazy valuable one, and the Wizards traded it again. So uh, and like. I just don't see what they had to lose. I mean, like, I'm not going to cry about trading KCP. Uh, you know, Montrezl Harrell is, is Montrezl Harrell. Uh, Kyle Kuzma is vastly overrated all the time. Uh, so I, I honestly don't think they had to give up that much to do it. Uh, and they got two seconds, but I mean, I don't know if those are real seconds. It's irrelevant. But uh, yeah, to, to me, it's not, it's not that risky just because you had to do something. And at the end of the day, I think having elite players kind of trumps everything um they have two of them russell westbrook is not one anymore but he's you know clearly pretty good so like he's still really productive uh, you know those guys figure find a way to figure it out and i think you know if westbrook is ever gonna like fall in line and like kind of you know i mean it's with this team it's with with other guys and so again I, I, like i said i don't think they're done like i think they'll try to find another way to you know use schroeder to get another guy in some type of construct side and trade i don't know um they definitely you know, are going to keep trying to, to add. Um, so, so I, I just, I, I understand what you're saying with the late game stuff, but I wouldn't necessarily overthink it. Um, Cause at this, again, it's just the other guys are going to draw so much attention. Uh, Westbrook is a good cutter. Uh, you know, he's, he has figured out like the off ball stuff. He did it with Harden and LeBron is still, you know, one of the best passers in the NBA. Uh, if not the best. So I, I, I can see it working. It's not perfect. Um, but again, it's, I think, History has shown, particularly with LeBron James, that, uh, you know, this is what happens. What you do is when you have him, it's a ticking clock, and you're going to have to, you know, use what you have to maximize that window. And I think even more so, like you said, now that he's older, uh, you know, all these days matter. So, you know, they might be weird in the regular season, because LeBron teams always are, and I, all that stuff. But I, I think uh, when, you know, in the playoffs, when it's like time to win games, I don't think Russell Westbrook is going to be the one who has the ball. I hope. So I, I'm not as worried as you are. I think you, I think you got to you know put the cart before the horse. Yeah, fair enough. I, you're you're convincing me a tiny bit, and I, I do think there's something to say about LeBron seemingly always finding a way to make it work uh, with the co-stars that are, are brought in to play with him. And him and Russ obviously have a relationship. So, and obviously this trade doesn't happen without LeBron and AD giving it the okay. So obviously those guys are going to want to try to make it work. Uh. Obviously, it feels like the series we want to see never happen anymore. But if you just allow yourself to daydream about a Lakers-Nets series or even a moment of finals, just the storylines there, LeBron going up against Kyrie, Russ going up against KD and Harden, LeBron versus KD, all those things, it would just be it would be incredible. I'd, I think I'd pick the Nets to win that series. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, we'll get to the Nets later, certainly, but it was a fascinating move. You you do make a good point. I mean, I also think Russ is going to be movable in a year if this goes up in flames. He'll have a massive expiring contract, assuming he opts in after this season. I think he's owed $47 million, something like that, in which case I we just look at it right now. Well, is it weird to you that every contract that we thought maybe a year or two ago was untradeable is now being traded all the time. We've seen John Wall 
uh, Russ getting traded a couple times. Uh, does that surprise you at all that all these like untradeable contracts are now being moved seemingly all the time? Um, no, just because of how how much like value can shift. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think we over exaggerate when we say untradeable because if you attach enough stuff to something, you know, you can kind of get do anything. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to obviously match salaries and be creative, but you know, that's why teams have people on staff to you know do the cap stuff and figures like, out and come up with billions of scenarios and stuff. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not shocked, but it you know obviously Chris Paul becoming really valuable was something that we wouldn't have thought necessarily. But also, it, I think it all you know these guys are both in Houston with Harden, who you know kind of has. Is like a black hole in the sense that he, you know, he is kind of sucks in everything around him, but it's about him, right? Like the other guys were a little bit deflated playing with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a knock on him; it was just what happened. Um, so I'm not shocked. Uh, but again, I think again, I don't think this is like a huge trade for Washington. It's not like they didn't get a ton of real stuff, but they did. Right. Get, what, what they what they really did was they they got off of Westbrook and they created a lot more flexibility and pathways to you know being a playoff team next year. Um, you know, and trying to keep Beal happy, right? So it's, uh, if Westbrook wanted out, unhappy Westbrook was not going to further that goal, right? So it's not always just player value. It's also like situation and context uh, for why teams, you know, haven't done to do this stuff. So. I do really like it actually for Washington. I mean, anything, I, you pick up a few solid rotation players there. I know you said Kuzma's overrated. I, I am interested to see what he can do in kind of a role away from the Lakers chaos and all that stuff and maybe get a more consistent situation in Washington. But let's get to the draft. Uh, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to run through some winners and losers. Uh, I'm pretty sure mine are going to be much different than yours. So let, let me start with you. T- tell me who your big winner was. Give me your first winner. When you think of winners and losers, uh, who do you like? Um, I think I would go with Orlando, um, which – it's kind of funny because, you know, everyone really thought they'd won in Scotty Barnes. Uh, Toronto takes him at number four. Uh, but then Orlando ends up with another really good player, uh, Jalen Suggs, who you know, I had ranked higher than Barnes. I think, you know, a lot of people preferred Suggs to Barnes. Uh, and, again, you know, with, with the Magic, it's always interesting because they have so many guys, but it just comes down to at the end of the day. Like, they're, they know they're not going to be able to keep everybody. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Suggs might be the best guard in their team right away. Like, I think he's probably more valuable than Mark Hoppels. Um, And then they, you know, then they went and got Franz Wagner at number eight, uh, you know, which is a pick I thought, expected that they would make. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's a good addition to the team. I mean, those are two good defenders. Uh, it kind of changes the contract of their, of their team a little bit. Um, I, and I just think it's, it's good value. Uh, you know, if you have – you know, they had five and eight, and everyone was like, well, what are they going to do with those two picks? Uh, you know, eight was kind of going to be a hard pick no matter what. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they made the right decision. And I think getting Suggs, as much as they like Barnes, I think Suggs, is a, they really needed help in the backcourt. And, it's, you know, they're going to have to figure out what to do with Cole Anthony and RJ Hampton and Fultz and you know, all these other guys. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, you need the guys with, like, the star power. And you know, I don't know if Suggs is, like, a star star, but I think he's going to be really good. Uh and um yeah i I will throw in there that i do think orlando is one of those teams that they don't have a can't miss player that would prevent them from just taking the best guy on the exactly uh tell me why you liked Suggs more than scotty barnes because i think barnes was probably safe to say the first surprise pick 
uh, of the top five. Not not that it was shocking he went there, but like you said, I, I don't know necessarily people were expecting Toronto to take him. Uh, tell me a little bit about the, kind of the Barnes versus Suggs a little bit. Why why'd you like Suggs more? Yeah, um, why well, you know I watch a lot of college basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at the NCAA tournament, watched them. Yeah, I got to see both those guys play multiple times when I was there, which is cool. Um, and again, I, I've also been watching these guys since they were teenagers in high school, right? And so um, you know, the thing with Barnes for me, you know, I had him number five, so it wasn't a big drop off. But for me, there was some delineation between Suggs and Barnes uh, just in a vacuum. And no, again, no one drafts in a vacuum, um, right? So. Uh, you know, with, with Suggs, I mean, I just, uh, I, I really think it's hard to find uh, guards who compete the way he does all the time, uh, who have actual offensive upside like him, and who are also elite athletes. Um, you know, that's one thing. Again, it's like I go to a lot of decent amount of high school stuff. Uh, you know, I, I at least am familiar with a lot of these guys and sort of their pathway, uh, you know, to the NBA over the years. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really hard to find elite players who really have the toughness. Uh, you know, people make a big deal of Suggs being an elite football player or whatever, but he, he does have, you know, that, that mindset. He's okay getting hit. He likes to hit, you know, go into the paint. And like, he just kind of, like, keeps playing through mistakes. And so, you know, I think that's valuable. It's just hard to find uh, guys with his type of makeup. And so uh, I like that he can play both guard spots. I like that he doesn't have to score necessarily all the time to make an impact on the game. Uh, so, so with Barnes, it's different. You know, I, I think he rose definitely in terms of public perception. And he really won the interview, you know, with teams. You know, everyone loves him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just, just a very well-liked person all around, uh, you know, the, the high school basketball landscape. And, you know, no, it's hard to find anyone who has bad things to say about him. You know, he, he's been through a lot in his life. Uh, and, you know, he, on the floor, you know, a really, really good defender, really long Uh you know, he's an incredible passer. I think that kind of, you kind of really had to dig into the film to see some of the passes that he made, but he, he can really, really pass. Um, and there's some skill upside for him to be a guy who can, you know, not really a point guard, but at least you can like bring it up and like get you into something and, you know, throw a good pass and, and be like a transition playmaker. I think he'll do that. Um, but I think there's a couple big questions with him, which is, you know, primarily his jumper, which has never been great. Uh, and then, you know, just how much he's going to score. Like it's, I don't know if he's ever going to average more than like 15 or 16, 17 points a game tops. Uh, you know, he's just not like a guy who's wired to score. Uh, but again, you draft him because you think he's going to be really, really good at everything else. And Toronto is in a unique position because, you know, they are, you know, more or less a playoff team with the playoff roster. You know, they had a bad year. They left out and jumped to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were in a position to take someone who wasn't necessarily a scorer who can enhance the other guys. So it's a really good fit for Barnes because he's going to be able to do what he's comfortable doing. Uh, and they won't have to rush him to be a scorer or anything, right? So uh, you, you you understand why you're Toronto, uh, you know why you would really think about going that direction. But but yeah. for me, again, in a vacuum, for me, I don't. I'm not drafting for a team. Mm. I would take subs. Um, but that's sort of how I would right break that decision down. It's interesting. You bring up Toronto as a playoff team. Toronto is like still really good. They had by far the hardest season in the NBA last year. They played all their games in Tampa. I mean, every single game was on the road. I don't know how that front office begins to judge that team. And they're interesting because you hear Siakam pop up in all these trade rumors, and obviously they gave him the big contract. He maybe has a little bit of a strained relationship with Nick Nurse. But I'm with you. I think Toronto is really good. I think they're a piece or two away from being maybe not a title contender, but 
I mean, it wouldn't shock me if the Raptors were back in the Eastern Conference Finals in a year or two. Uh, Van Vliet's a proven playoff performer. Siakam can be really good. Uh, Ananobi's a really good player. They have Gary Trent now. I, they have a lot of interesting pieces. I'm, I'm fascinated to see, especially what they do with Siakam, because I, I think that they are right on the verge of building another perennial playoff team there. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I want to give you my first winner. Now, as you know, Wu, I'm not the draft expert, you know. I don't have the, the flowing, beautiful hair that you do and, and the ability to just crunch uh, college basketball and high school tape. So let me tell you my first winner. It's the Brooklyn Nets, okay? And here's why it's the Brooklyn Nets. Sure, they picked up, you know, a couple guys at the end of the first round there. Uh, Daron Sharp, Cam Thomas, guys who maybe can be in the rotation, maybe even get a few minutes in the playoffs here or there. But if I'm the Nets... I'm thrilled that none of the contenders, at least now, made a move that I'm worried about. You know, the the Lakers make the Westbrook trade. I think if any team's not scared of that move, it's the Nets. Uh, they're intimately familiar with him. Uh, I think the Nets are by far the favorite to make it out of the East going into next season. Probably favorites to win the title, frankly. Uh, we saw how good they were with most of their players hurt during the playoffs. But just, I mean, look around the, the, the league, at least heading into free agency. Uh, the Clippers are, are dealing with, you know, the injury to Kawhi. Uh, the Jazz are, are, are trying to clear some money right now to re-sign Mike Conley. The Nuggets have the Jamal Murray injury hanging over them. Uh, the Sixers are still stuck with Ben Simmons at the moment, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, yeah, I look at it. I'm the Nets. I'm pretty happy that... You know, teams like the Warriors or, or nobody was able to package picks 
uh, and make that big move. You know, Bradley Beal staying put in Washington, I think, is great news for the Nets for now. So I, I look at Brooklyn, I think they got to be really happy because, you know, they're only judging what other contenders are doing. And I think right now, uh, obviously, free agency, there's a lot of offseason left, but I think the Nets are actually in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Um, you know, obviously, a lot is still has to play out with free agency. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see more stuff happen. Um, so I wouldn't be, not that you're saying this, but, you know, obviously, we'll see what those, those other, right. you know, contending teams do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately, you know, I know Golden State tried a bunch of different stuff. Um, it seemed like everything Philly wanted for Ben Simmons was too much for anybody, uh, which I think was probably strategic. I, I think they probably wanted to drag this out. Um, and I think they're probably waiting to see if Lillard gets, uh, you know, unsettled what, what Lillard's going to do if he ultimately decides he wants out or not. Uh, that's my, my guess. Uh, so so the, that whole star cycle is going to play out over the next couple months. It could even go into the season, like what happened with James Harden. Hard to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I can, you know, the, the next actual draft, I thought was pretty good. Uh, you know, I really love Damon Sharp at number 29. He was a guy who their team thought could have snuck into the top 20 in, in some scenarios. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, but I think he's a great value pick at 29. Um, you know, I, I think it also shows sort of the way, you know, centers were, were devalued a little bit on mm-hmm. this draft. There weren't, there weren't really many bigs that went in the first round. I, I think it was really just, just three bigs. It was Evan Mobley, uh, Alperin, uh, Shengun and, uh, and, and Dayron Sharp. Uh, and I guess you could, th- you could throw in Isaiah Jackson and, and Uzman Garuba, but those guys are more, little, little different, like not like traditional centers necessarily. Right. Um, so, uh, but I think Dayron Sharp is going to help them because I think, you know, one thing you saw with the Nets in the playoffs this year is they, they struggled. They didn't have enough big bodies, uh, you know, to match up with, uh, you know, the, the better centers. Um, so, you know, I think they're hoping he can at least give them some minutes in that context. Um, they, they got Cam Thomas at number 27. Not my kind of guy. Not really a player I like that much. But uh, he can score. And when you sometimes when you take guys who are scorers and you're like, hey, you have to play a role now. And you have Kevin Grant and Kyrie, so you got to pass them the ball. Like, kids will kind of like fall in line right i think that's what they're hoping yeah i, I do and think they, yeah no the nets have the luxury of anyone who they bring in i mean we saw it with bruce brown where they say we just need you to do one or two things and you're going to get a ton of advantageous opportunities players can thrive in that situation I mean, look what they did for blake griffin bruce brown etc I, I think it's going to be a huge boon for Cam Thomas and Daron Sharp in terms of they're not going to be asked to do too much. There's not going to be a lot of pressure on them. Uh, they're going to be huge beneficiaries of playing alongside all that top-end talent that it might not be roles they want for their whole career, but I, I think it's a nice way to ease into the league. I, I want to put a pin in what you said about the Warriors and Ben Simmons. We'll get back to them, certainly, but tell me another winner that you had uh, from this draft. Yeah, uh, I also really like what Charlotte did. And like, I feel weird saying I'm excited about the Hornets, but I, I kind of <laughs> am. Um, but, you know, they, they, what happened was, you know, James Booknight, uh, who's a guy I like the top 10 pick. Well, you had uh, Booknight, I think, going sixth or something, right? You, you really yeah. like Booknight. So, yeah, so I had Booknight at the top 10 pick the entire year. Uh, so I, I, I was like on him. I, I went and saw him play. Right before the pandemic started, I, I went to a UConn game. I was like taking a trip. I was, uh, you know, I went and thought it would be top and play at uh, Rhode Island for date with Dayton. And then I, you know, I saw UConn playing the way back. And I, I wasn't like 
on book night and then i saw him i was like oh this guy is so i had him as like my top returning college guy i was really intrigued by him uh yeah so for him to be there at number 11 is really did you nice see him Charlotte. did you see him play in stores connecticut where were you for this? uh i i was in in stores connecticut yeah can you can you please tell me what stores connecticut is like what what did you do there uh what, what does one do when they're not going to a yukon game uh I did very little. It was like I was on my way. I was driving back from Rhode Island, so it took me a little time to get there because it wasn't close to anything. Uh, but UConn, their actual basketball facility is really cool. It's like in the middle of the woods. Uh, and oh. there's like they have the basketball complex there, the arena, practice facility. It's actually really nice. Like I would be down to like play there if I was a player. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's kind of, it feels like it's kind of middle of nowhere because it is. But hey, I don't think people are here for that. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, so I think, um, but yeah, so it's so a book night. Basically, a lot of people thought the Thunder were going to take him. That turned out to be a Sam Presti smokescreen special, which honestly I suspected, but I didn't know what to do. So I just kind of like stuck in there. It is one of the follies of mock drafting. It's like you can only go off the information you have sometimes. Uh, but the Thunder took Josh Giddy, which I had heard was possible, uh, but I don't know if I had fully given enough thought to it. Uh, so I didn't put him there. I didn't know he was going to go there. But I don't think anyone was, was sure what Oklahoma City was doing. So anyway, they don't take him. And then the Kaminga goes to the Warriors. Uh, the Magic took Suggs. The Magic weren't going to take Book Knight. Uh, the Kings took Davion Mitchell. Surprise. Um, surprise pick. And then the Grizzlies took Zaire Williams, which was another surprise pick. And so then Book Knight's there for Charlotte. So, you know, now they get one of the best scorers in the draft. Uh, I do think it probably means Terry Rozier at some point will probably go elsewhere. Just if you're, if you're, if Book Knight's really good, like the Hilpia is, uh, you know, you have him and Lamello, pretty, pretty electric backcourt. Uh, and then the other guy they really wanted at 11 was Kai Jones. Who then they don't take at eleven because Book Knight's there, uh, but then Kai Jones falls. You know he's falling into the teens, and then Charlotte, you know, trades in to number nineteen with the Knicks and takes Kai Jones at nineteen. So I thought they had a great draft. You know they got the guys they wanted. They got two players I really liked who I had as, as lottery talent, uh, and they got him like at later spots. And I, I think Kai Jones, uh, and I know you want to talk about next year's draft a little bit, uh, so we can kind of get into that later. But I think Kai Jones, you know, he's so long, he's pretty versatile defensively, a little bit of upside on offense. Uh, but I think he has the potential, like, you know, with his size and his length and his mobility to be a guy who can guard, like, these big, skilled guys who are mm-hmm. coming, like like the Chet Holmgrens, the Victor Wembanyamas, Like, you know, these are the sort of the next wave of, of elite prospects. We're seeing more of these tall, skilled guys. And so if Kai Jones can guard those guys, great. Uh, what stood out to you about Book Knight when you saw him? Why did you like him so much? Why did he leap off that court uh, in the middle of the woods in stores of uh, – what what drew you to him? What do you think of him as a prospect? Yeah, uh, it was just, I, I think, you know, so when I saw him play, he was a freshman. Uh, and it was just, I think the, the poise he had was like really, really notable. Uh, you know, he's really also really athletic. He kind of like, he's one of those guys who kind of glides, like it sounds cliche and stupid, but he kind of does. Like the way that he moves is a little bit different. He's so smooth. Um, and he was very just kind of like clinical, like you know, a lot of guys who are college scorers are just like taking wild shots and shoot a bad percentage but like you know he i don't know if the numbers always will show it um but generally he's a much more decisive half-court player than you think for a guy who's like profiles the way he does is like an athletic bucket getter mm-hmm. uh, and, and again we have to keep it in context sometimes these scorers their numbers you know look a certain way because college basketball is tough and gross to watch and sometimes <laughs> you get a lot of a lot of like bad late late clock shots happen. That's just inevitably that happens, and it's tasked with the best player to do it. And that, you know those are hard shots to make for anyone. Uh, so sometimes you got to keep in that context in mind, right? But you know I was just impressed with him. He rebounds. He like I don't think he's a bad defender. I think his feels really good. 
Uh, I just thought he was a stud. Uh, you know, I, I thought he should have been a first round pick last year. Uh, but you know, he obviously wow. he goes back and goes. And right. Obviously, he goes back and goes in the lottery. So, uh, you know, he he helped himself for sure. Uh, and again, he was hurt a lot of the season. Uh, he, you know, his elbow was was injured. He had elbow surgery in the middle of the year. It was his left, not his shooting elbow. But it, you know, he came back and he just wasn't the same. He couldn't really go left as comfortably. So, you know, I think all those things contributed. Um, but I get why he didn't go in the top ten. Um, but you know, for eleven for Charlotte, it's a great a great uh, value pick to, to me. Uh, I want to jump to what you said about the Sam Presti smokescreen. Presti's really just uh, in his own world right now uh, <laughs> when it comes to building this Thunder team, obviously building one of the biggest draft pick war chests we've ever seen, and I'm sure he's going to be uh, in play for some of those future guys that you mentioned. Uh, the Giddy pick, I think, was probably the most surprising pick of the top ten. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but... Uh, what did you think of that move for the Thunder? Obviously, you thought it was it was possible, not necessarily likely. But what, what do you think of that them picking up Giddy? I actually kind of like it for them. Um, you know, the more I looked at the draft, and I think other people kind of felt the same way too. Obviously, because he was strongly in play at seven for Golden State. I don't know if they would have taken him over Kaminga, but I know that was a conversation they had to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, it just comes down to like he's really big and he's a really, really good passer. And, you know, those, I, I think this is a strategy that is sort of, I kind of like now uh, that I, you know, I've talked to teams about, and it's just like, get as many six, seven, six, eight, six, nine dudes as possible who are skilled and who have things they're really good at and just like throw them out there and kind of like see what happens. And like, right. Giddy, Giddy is great for that strategy. You know, he's, he's a pretty good athlete. Uh, he, he's in one of the Jeff's best passers it was like so impressive in Australia this year. And he's 18. Um, so he's a guy, I, I got to scout him a little bit. He played in the NBA's global Academy program. So I think he's their first guy to get drafted. Uh, and obviously he went super high. It's great for them. Um, but I was always really impressed with him uh, just as a passer, uh, as a, just like a poised guy. Like he, he's always played like a lot older, uh, like, an, like he's an older guy. And mm-hmm. he's also used to playing with vets. Um, you know, he's played for the Australian national team. He's in their program. Um, obviously not at the Olympics, but, uh, you know, he will be in the future. Um, you know, people rave about him off the court. Um, he's a legit talent. And so, again, if you think about, well, Cade Cunningham is number one. Uh, and Josh Giddy is also a really big playmaker who can really pass. You know, he doesn't do the same, all the same things Cade does. But, uh, you know, still kind of a lesser version of that idea. Yeah, sure. Like, why not? Like, if you look at what else is there. OKC has a blank slate to draft whoever they want. Right. They didn't need they didn't need to take on the Kaminga risk. They just get get giddy and you know just throw him in there, and he's going to be able to play with those other guys. Uh, so you know I like that pickup. It was out out of the box, um, and I wish I had like thought harder about it and, and, and seen it coming. I didn't, uh, but uh, I like I like that pickup. Cool. Uh, I want to go to another one of my winners before we get to losers here. I just want to say. A win for the G League Ignite team, man. How about that? They have two guys go uh, in the top seven, I believe. I, the Ignite thing is interesting to me because obviously it's a viable option for players who want to get paid and be in a little bit more of a professional program before they go to the NBA. On the other hand, you now have the NIL situation in college athletics where guys can you know, accept money, do sponsorships, etc., it evens the playing field to an extent, I believe. I mean, you have, I think, college players now with an opportunity to, to make seven figures. I mean, if you're, imagine what Zion Williamson could have made at Duke uh, if NIL 
you know, rules were different for him then. I'm curious if you think that is going to have any effect on the Ignite team moving forward, what you think about just the Ignite idea and, and how it could kind of play out over the next couple of years as it relates to the draft. Yeah. Um, well, the thing that's going to be interesting to see is whether, uh, you know, when the, when we have the next collective bargaining agreement, you know, whether or not they, they go back to the 18 age as the age minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Like that hasn't been a big contention point. It seems like I don't think the players union has really pushed forward from what I've heard. Um, I don't think it was ever that big of a deal to teams because they like having an extra year to scout guys because it helps you make better decisions. Uh, you know, I know that Adam Silver originally wanted it, and I think there was, you know, an element of it where the NCAA at the time it was obviously under a lot more scrutiny. Uh, so now you have the NIL stuff; it changes. It's more viable to go to college. Uh, I think for number, there's probably just not as much urgency to change that. So I think Ignite mm-hmm. is going to be here to stay at least for a little bit. Um, and I think, look, like Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, those are elite prospects in high school. They could have done whatever they wanted. They probably still would have been top 10 picks. Um, but I, I, I do think it was good for Ignite. You saw a guy like Isaiah Todd, who went at number 31. Uh, it's a good spot for him. And he, you know, to, to the Wizards, uh, you know, wasn't sure coming into the year if he was going to get drafted. He was more of like a late second round guy. And he really did help himself. Uh, there were teams who had him as a first rounder. Um, so, you know, it was a win for for him. And, and they had one guy, Dacian Nix, go undrafted. Uh, but, that, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. So, mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, you know, Ignite, I think it's, the jury's still kind of out. Uh, but I, I do think it's, inter- it's like useful to watch guys there because if you're familiar with the quality of the G League level, you, know, you can kind of get a feel for how good they are. Uh, you can, you know, get to see them, you know, out of their comfort zone. Like part of the hard thing scouting high school sometimes uh, is not only that some of these guys are just so much better than everyone else, and it's like hard to sometimes you, you have to be able to like parse through what what matters and what doesn't. Uh, but also, it's just like sometimes they're not really dealing with a lot of adversity. And again, not that G League might is adverse but you know when you are playing you know in the g league against older guys with you know more developed bodies it is a different challenge and it's something that you have to see guys figure out on their own especially as when they're teenagers they're 18 year old year old uh guys making leap straight from high school to pro so i think that element of it is nice when you're when you're scouting i don't think it affected green and Kaminga necessarily mm-hmm. um but the other guy you know as they taught it, it definitely helped uh, I was also really hard to scout in high school because of how much better I was than everyone else. So I definitely understand uh, what those G League guys are going through. Uh, let's get to some losers, Woo. Uh, who's Who took a big fat L um, Thursday night? Give me your first loser. You don't have to be as mean as I am, but who, yeah. who, did, you, who did you maybe like a little bit less? Uh, I did not love Memphis's draft. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they walked away with with Zaire Williams number ten. And it's uh, that, uh, important to mention they traded up for that pick, right? Uh, in the deal with uh, New Orleans for Stephen Adams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know, they took uh, Santi Aldama, who is you know not someone anyone expected to be going the first round. They took him at number thirty. Uh, and so again, I will say Memphis has done a good job drafting uh, in recent years, and so I think we have to give them some you know benefit of the doubt. Like they obviously know what they're doing uh but you know i from what i understand like you know they, they did pick up number 10 hoping that either giddy or or, or franz wagner one of those two guys mm. was going to be there at 10 uh since those guys aren't there uh, you know and, and zaire williams uh I, I guess you know was the next guy uh, on their board i would assume and you know the guy they liked the most i, I did hear that memphis liked him uh, but i didn't expect him to go at number 10 it just seemed like 
a little bit too high. I don't know if he would have made it to 17 if they'd stayed on 17, right? So I don't want to say like they didn't have to trade up because we don't know. Um, but, you know, he was a guy who I had in, is in more of like the next group of, of guys coming off the board. Um, you know, I just, I've never been like a huge Zaire Williams guy. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he just, just frankly has not been a super productive or consistent player. Uh, he wasn't at Stanford. And, you know, obviously he was among a lot of guys who had a tough year in college. So you don't want to entirely hold it against him. Uh, but he wasn't super consistent in high school either. He was more of a guy who was bragged highly because he was an interesting idea. Uh, then, you know, he was a, a really, really good player yet. So, you know, maybe they help him find his in top end of his potential. Like he is six, nine, he can shoot, he can handle like you, you watch him. You know, I've watched him work out. I watched him when I was in Vegas a couple months ago. And, you know, obviously you see him and you're like, that's probably, you know, justifiably a lottery talent. Uh, you know, that has never changed with him. Um, but it's just a matter of whether or not he, you know, gets, gets close to that, you know, starter level potential uh so so we'll see what happens i just i didn't love that pick i, I didn't think it was great great value relative to what the market was for him uh but again i don't know everything about about that and then um you know taking you... aldama at 30 I, I was just gonna say I, I think what happened was and i tweeted this uh people thought okc was gonna take him i think mm. so i think my guess is that memphis they were at 40 i believe and they felt like they had to get in front of the thunder at like 34 so my guess is that's why they did it they just must have really loved him and you know analytics love that guy that he was playing in the patriot league so, you know, I watched him a couple times. It wasn't really a guy who I expected to be a first-round pick. What do you think goes through a team's mind when they make a move like Memphis did, expecting two guys to be there at number 10? You know, making a not a, a major trade, but, I mean, giving up a valuable piece in Valanciunas, who played really good minutes for them last season. What do you think goes through their mind when the two guys they want at that spot are gone? Maybe they're not expecting that. Uh are teams used to dealing with that? Do you think there's a level of panic? What, what do you think goes through a, a front office when they're really hoping for two guys at a certain spot and they're both gone? Yeah, well, you know, I, I will add, like, I know Memphis tried to trade up. Oh. Uh, so so they tried to trade up again after they traded up. And so I think they called about number three. They called Cleveland about number three. I don't think that went that far. I don't know for sure. Uh, but I know that, that that was, you know, something that was, was discussed. Uh, and then I, I know they tried to get to number seven. I think that's where they were targeting that Warriors pick. Um, and Golden State ultimately did not uh, come back off that, right? So then you're kind of left holding the bag at number 10. Uh, you know, I would think it's kind of like, oh, shit, we won't I swear on this podcast or not. <laughs> I guess you just did. So it's kind of like that, right? Maybe it's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, this is happening now. But at the end of the day, look, like teams are still prepared for stuff like when, when this happens and you just, you got to go to your board and trust, trust your board. So, uh, you know, Zaire Williams was their guy. Uh, they took him at number 10 and, um, you know, it's maybe not what they expected, but at least, at least they did end up with a guy who they do like, right. It's right. not like they took someone who like they never would have drafted. Like you're still taking someone who's high on your board. It just relative to what we expect. We don't always know. It just, it just shows you how little consensus there can be. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought 
in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is over. The Shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You mentioned this team. This is my first loser. It's not really the Warriors, but it's Steph Curry. Because I think a lot of people were circling the Warriors as one of those teams that were going to be active in trade discussions. And we were seeing reports right up until they picked uh, Jonathan Kaminga at number seven that they were engaged in trade discussions. They, they're in a win-now position, right? It's similar to the Lakers. Steph is playing at an MVP level. Klay Thompson should finally be returning next season. They're going to have the core. The their three best players from that seventy-three win team will finally be back on the court together this year, and they can't afford to waste any time. And I think Kaminga could be a good player. Uh, they got Moses Moody too, I believe. I think it's not so much that I think they they selected bad guys. I really like the Kaminga types, just these big athletic guys, and, and see what happens with them. But they're both projects to an extent. They need guys who can give them playoff minutes in 2022 because with Steph, there's no reason why you shouldn't be expecting to be putting a title contender together. Can you tell me a little bit how hard were the Warriors trying to move their two picks? I'm sure Wiggins was probably coming up in discussions, maybe even Wiseman. I mean, it's still possible they swing a trade. I know Siakam has been linked to them, but I I thought this was a bad night for Steph Curry because – this was really an opportunity for Golden State to kind of add an impact veteran or two uh, and, and really, I think, put themselves right back in the conversation at the top of the West. Uh, instead, they pick up guys who I think, you know, if you were telling me you had a team that was Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody, and you were rebuilding, I might be excited, but it's a little bit different when you have Steph, Clay, and Dre. Uh, what do you think of the Warriors night? Yeah, so... I can tell you for sure, uh, based on you know what I was hearing, uh, they definitely were calling around all day. They they made a ton of efforts to try to you know, use those picks to do something. Uh, I don't think anyone was untouchable uh, besides you know those the, the three main guys. Uh, I assume uh, I don't think they offered Steph Curry, uh, but um, <laughs> you know I know Wiseman was available. Like they really tried to you know do whatever they could. Ultimately, ended up staying put. Uh, and again, they they got two good prospects, but like you said, it, it wasn't necessarily the outcome that would have 
Well, I'll put it this way. I don't know if there was honestly an outcome that would have been a huge difference maker. Like even if they had taken Kaminga and then taken Chris Duarte, who I know they wanted at 14, like even if, or Davion Mitchell, who they really loved, like if they, even if they took one of those two guys, they're still rookies. And like, if you're a really good team, you're probably not going to want to play rookies that much. So I, I don't know that there was necessarily like two home run picks, but um, yeah, it just shows it's like, unless you have a really, really elite, like high level top four, top five pick, it's, sometimes it's hard to extract value. Um, and, you know, it was kind of what happened to them. So uh, I do think there's a case to be made. They do at some point have to prepare for the future and they have to keep building. And, um, you know, they could have taken Corey Kispert at 15. They took Moody, who's the better long-term prospect, which I get. You know, they, they took the guy that thought was the best guy. And um, I think the hope probably would be if, the, if you develop these guys, maybe you can package, you know, Kaminga, Moody, what Wiseman in some combination with whatever – at some point, the star does become available, right? Uh, but I think, you know, I wrote about this a little bit. I think the challenge that you face uh, as Golden State is that, you know, it's hard to sometimes to make these guys look good uh, because of, you know, the situation that you're in. And mm-hmm. I think we saw that with Wiseman last year. You know, he it was just hard to make him look great. You know, he they needed a big. He wasn't quite good enough right away. Uh, they, the Warriors have a bunch of really high field guys, and Wiseman's not a high field guy. So he was like a, really a couple steps behind, right? So. Uh, you know, maybe they can, you know, get more out of Kaminga and like get him, get him to sort of access that that potential. And um, I think Moody is fine. He's solid. I, I don't love him, but I think he's he's fine, like a solid guy. Um, but you know, I think their hope would be develop these guys, and then maybe it helps you strike you know, at the deadline or something. But again, Steph Curry is going to hit free agency soon, so it's you know there is some some type of a ticking clock for them. And I, I don't think Golden State's done. Like I'm sure we'll hear about them doing more stuff this, this offseason because I I do know that they know. Um, they gotta they gotta make it work so and one thing i'll say too go ahead please last last note is that i don't think we can just assume clay is clay like you Mm. gotta see how he is uh and because if clay is not clay they're not gonna win the title so uh that's you know another point i'd make it's like i understand taking the long view here rather than reaching for an older prospect you don't like just cut so i wouldn't bash them for what they did it's just their predicament continues for sure i mean they're in a tough spot and that's why I think sometimes, even with like OKC, you see what Presti is doing, getting all these first-round picks. There's so much of it is it's got to be the right pick during the right draft. I mean, you could have the number two pick in a bad draft and it means nothing. You could have the number six pick in a draft like tonight and it's way more valuable. Or you could have number seven where there's a little bit of a drop-off and, you know, things change. So the Warriors, I think, got a little a little bit unlucky there just in terms of where those picks fell. Uh and yeah, it's not that I think that they picked up bad players or anything like that. It's just more so I think the vets on that team were probably hoping for a little bit more. Uh, all right, tell me, give me one more team maybe that you didn't love their draft Thursday night or or maybe they did something that, that caught you off guard, et cetera. Who's another quote-unquote loser for you uh, coming out of this draft? Mm, let's see. I'm still processing what happened, to be honest. I'm looking. I mean, um, the Kings seem to be the team everyone was getting on really early uh, for taking uh, Mitchell when, when they already have Fox and Halliburton. Was that as yeah. controversial of a pick to you as yeah, it was to seemingly everyone else? Yeah, let's talk about that one. Yeah, I, I don't know what was said on Twitter because I, I don't have time to like follow the in-draft discourse. So I, I, I'd say this with no knowledge of what was, was said. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, look, Davion Mitchell is like a good player and he plays super hard. He's beloved as a teammate. He's going to push everyone around him. 
he's continued to get better. He's going to work. Like, you, he fits what the Kings are building in terms of, like, high-character guys. Uh, and they're trying to, like, I think Monty McNair is doing a good job, I'll say. And, uh, you know, I thought a lot of people said that thought they might take uh, Shengun uh, at number nine. So Mitchell was a surprise pick. It wasn't what anyone expected there. And I think they picked him just thinking we really need defense. They were so bad defensively last year. Um, but my thing is just like when you take an older player like that, you know, Mitchell being 22, it's like you, you really need those guys to play and, you know, hit right away. Uh, and the risk is, well, I don't know if it's risk, but like, look, they have two great guards. They have Fox, they have Tyree Talberton, my personal favorite player in the entire NBA. Uh, <laughs> and so, so it's like, yeah, Dave Young can play with those guys and you can play three guard lineups and it'll, it'll, it'll be fine. But uh, I don't know. And it, could, it was probably just that they didn't love any of the big houses to go front court there. Which I can understand the argument for, right? Like it's not totally baseless, uh, but but it it is surprising that it, it it wasn't necessarily what anyone expected them to do. Um, and you know Mitchell being an older guy, you know we'll see what how good he becomes in terms of upside. Like is he really a star? Like he's not that big. And I, I think one thing I always harp on, like especially with guards who are known for their defense, is it's just that on ball defense is such a tough skill to translate to the NBA because. In college, you can get up in guys' face, and you can really like the way Patrick Beverly guards in the NBA. Not everyone can do that, and even him doing that, he gets burned a lot, right? Right. Uh, like even the best defensive guards in the NBA, if you're only six feet tall, you're not you're not going to really be able to stop James Harden all the time. Uh, and and they're not necessarily like versatile. You can't really like switch them around, right? So sometimes having a smaller guy kind of inhibits what you can do on defense because he doesn't have the size to guard up in that or up in position, right? So that was sort of the risk for me with Davion. Um, but, but we'll see. And, and I think the Kings are trying to get better. And this pick definitely makes them better now. So I understand why they did it. Uh, maybe it wouldn't have been what I did. I, I like Cliff Knight. I would have probably took him. But uh, they also, if they had took him, would have given up 150 points per game. Yeah. I mean, they were in a tough spot because, like you said, I think Mitchell's a good player. Book Knight was also on the board there. The problem is they still have Buddy Heald on the team. They, they Their two best players are playing point guard and shooting guard uh, in Fox and Halliburton. I, I, I I do think it's not insane to play a three-guard lineup in the NBA in 2021. It just worries me that they're using a pick, like you mentioned, on an older prospect who doesn't really make sense with their two best players. And the Kings, I think, are also a team that should probably be looking for best player available over fit uh, in most situations. It's just, do you take a guy at nine who... At the end of the day, can he be in a closing lineup with your two most important pieces? I don't know, and that worries me a little bit. And there's somebody sort of, I think, taking a high floor player, someone who has like an identifiable NBA skill. It just those those moves always worry me a little bit. I, I want to get to another one of my losers because you brought this team up a little bit too, and I want to get your opinion on what's going on there. But I had Ben Simmons and the Sixers as, as both losers from this draft. Only because you mentioned this might drag out into the season. I don't see how Simmons can get back on the court with the Sixers when this entire summer has been dedicated to Ben Simmons' fake trades. I mean, from the moment, you know, the arena was still, the lights were still on uh, in, in the Sixers arena when people were coming up with their Simmons fake trades. Uh, obviously, Maury's asking for a lot, and I get it. He doesn't want to tank Simmons' value. He doesn't want to sell low. This is someone who's made multiple all-star teams, an all-NBA team. At the same time, no team is going to give up something crazy for him after the postseason he just had. 
what do you make of the Simmons situation right now? Do you see – is there a world in which he's trying to rebuild his trade value on the court for the Sixers this season? I don't know. I mean, like, my, my gut would be no. I do think this is going to take a little time. Um, it, it seems like everyone knows it's going to happen. So uh, at some point they're going to – you know, like you can you can hold out as long as you want, but at some point there will be some impetus. Maybe it is, you know, the start of the season training camp. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to like speculate too much on it. Uh, but again, just knowing that it doesn't surprise me. Just knowing that Philly is not you know, Daryl Morey is not a guy who really values building through the draft. Uh, you know, all the picks he asked for. Like I still don't know how much he wanted. And again, I do think they probably are holding out to try to get Lillard. Uh, so, we'll we'll have to see. I wouldn't say they're like losers of the draft. Like they they made a good pick at twenty eight. Like Jade Finger is my uh, you mm-hmm. know interesting long term prospect. Um, but um, obviously, they no, they're not a team that uses the draft to get better anyway. So I don't know what I expected. Would you do uh, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris for Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes? Um, no. <laughs> it's not as crazy as it sounds, though. It's not as crazy as it sounds. Uh, I think. Mm, I don't know. You're not getting equal value back in a move like that, but you're getting two pieces who I think fit way better around Embiid. And I think that's what the Sixers' focus needs to be is I think you need to punt on this idea that you're going to get equal value back for Ben Simmons and realize that by simply putting the right pieces around Embiid, you're going to make your team a lot better, and that's just rangy guys who can shoot. Um, But, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I want to get... To what was your favorite pick of the night? What what was there a move that that really impressed you that made you happy? Uh, you're happy this guy went to this team. You're just happy for this guy, etc. Do you have a, a favorite pick of the night? Um, let me think. Uh, I'm, I'm looking. It's so funny. I, I I never like fully remember what happened like after <laughs> after the fact. Um, I mean, I, I loved the Kai Jones pick at 19 for Charlotte. I think that's just a nice. I talked about a little bit already. Uh, that was one I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the second round, I loved uh, Jason Preston, the Clippers. He was one of my sleepers. I had him as like a late first round guy. Ooh. Uh, the Clippers absolutely loved him. Uh, I think he has a chance to be uh, like their backup point guard next season. Uh, you know, that is a pick that I, uh, you know, I actually really like. We didn't talk about the Clippers at all, but they had a nice draft getting Preston in them. Uh, Keon Johnson falling to 21, trade up, take him. Uh, you know, Johnson, there was some medical stuff that was part of why he fell possible. He was a potential lottery guy. They get him like 10 picks later. Nice value. And I think, you know, he's the type of guy with his skill set. He's a really good defender. He'll, have, he'll be better developing on a good team where they don't have to rush him to like be what he's not. Uh, so I thought the Clippers had a good draft. Um, let's do the crazy thing where it's the, the draft, you know, the takes haven't even been written yet. Uh, but we're going to look ahead to 2022. Who are if, if people do want to get into the draft, right? Who are the the prospects they should keep their eye on? Uh, where can they watch them, etc.? I mean, who are the guys we're going to be talking about uh, a year from now in, in terms of you know who who are the prospects NBA teams are already drilling in on? Well, as far as the like elite, like high level, top five ish guys who are kind of you know, on the radar right now for next year. Uh, you know, I think Chet Holmgren will probably be my projected number one going into the year. He's going to Gonzaga. You know, he's 
the huge skilled uh big uh but he's really kind of a he's more of a he doesn't really have a position because you know he's he's six eleven seven feet tall but he can really handle he has guard skills can really he's just a unique player to watch and you know he was the centerpiece of the the team that just won gold for usa at, at FIBA under 19s so you know, there's a lot of tape on him. You'll watch him at Gonzaga next year. Uh, I think he's going to be kind of a big story, you know, whether or not he holds number one the whole way. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy who could go that high, Paolo Banchero, uh, who is you know going to be the best player for Duke this year. Uh, he's an awesome player uh, who I've, I've really liked watching, and he's gotten a lot better over the years. He's gotten into really good shape. But he, you know, I used to think he was like a evolutionary Boris Diaw, but now he's now he's going to be a lot more than that. I always compare guys to Boris Diaw, but I don't <laughs> like Boris Diaw. Uh, but Banchero is really good. He can really pass, super skilled, really strong. Um, I think he'll be a fun player to watch for Duke. Because like again, these these versatile, skilled big bigs are kind of like where this thing's going. I think. Um, and then you know, Jaden Hardy is going to be the headliner for GA Ignite next year. Uh, a really really good guard who can really score. Um, there's a couple of interesting international guys. Uh, the, the the main one is uh, Yannick Dosa. I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, I have to double check. I haven't drilled in on pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> so apologies if that's incorrect. But uh, so he plays in Spain. Uh, he's a really, really athletic, uh, a huge big-time defensive prospect. Um, and he, I've watched him a couple times. I haven't had enough time to watch him a ton. Uh, but, you know, he's... I think he's, you know, 6'11", 7 feet, uh, and so rangy and athletic. And again, that's where it's going. It's like these crazy athletic, uh, you know, 7-foot dudes. So, right. Um, and it it does seem couple, like... Yeah, go ahead. No, it just seems like the move, if in doubt, just pick a guy who's at least 6'8". You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and then there, there are more of those guys, too. And then, uh, you know, Jalen Duran uh, is expected to, I think, will play in college next year, it sounds like. Uh, you know, he, he, I just watched him play at Peach Jam last week. Uh, I don't like him as much. He's more of like a traditional big. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to get all the way into it, but he's a guy who I'm, I'm not fully sold on. But I think teams have, have already begun to scout him heavily this spring, anticipating that uh, at these different events. It, you know, I saw him play at Tango. I saw him play at Peach Jam, and then um, then you have an interesting group of guys kind of coming after that. It's kind of unclear what the hierarchy will be, but you got, um, you know. Uh, former Northwestern ball boy Patrick Baldwin Jr. Oh, hey. Uh, Jeremy Wu and I have now known each other for almost 10 years, which is disgusting to think about dating back to um, our freshman year at Northwestern. But shout out to the Wildcats for getting someone in there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, he's not, he's, not, he's not playing for Northwestern. That's true. Hey, playing. ball boy, we'll take it. Former we'll ball boy, it. we'll take we it. Can, I, I think you can claim him if you want. Uh, uh, I want to I want to get you out of here on this. Shout out to Reggie Hearn, by the way, G League Ignite legend. Yes. Uh, Cade Cunningham. We haven't talked about him at all. He went number one to Detroit. I loved his attitude. Loved his spirit. He wants to be in Detroit. Is he like a shoe in for the Rookie of the Year? Is he? What kind of presence do you think he can be on the Pistons? Is he a, a transformational guy? Is he a multiple time All Star? How do you feel about Cade Cunningham? Because I, I loved him just based entirely off his attitude last night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just, I love that guy. And, like, I, you know, he's someone who I scouted really heavily for, like, two years, uh, starting, dating back to, like, January, I think, of 2019, um, which was, I think, the first time I really saw him play. Um, he's just so unique. And, like, 
it, again, the, the, these draft discourses always drag out so long that you start mm-hmm. nitpicking and stuff. Maybe we forget how much we really like the guy. But you know, I, I wrote the, the story on, on K this week for, for our site, and as I was doing it, I was just remembering like how I felt watching him. Uh, and he's just he's such a special like thinker of the game, uh, and uh, has continued to get better in every way. He doesn't really have any like huge holes in his skill set. Uh, I don't know. If, I mean, I, I would guess he's the front runner for a few years because he's going to play a lot. Obviously, uh, I, I would say you know, like Mobley and, and Green will probably you know be in the mix. Like I could see Fabs like being in the mix. Those, you know, those guys are all really good. Uh, but uh, yeah, point being, I think he's one of the best prospects to come around, particularly guard prospects. Uh, if you if you think he's a guard, which I think there's, there's still some debate if he's a guard or a wing. I, I don't really think it even really matters because he. He can play out at any spot on the floor. He sees the floor so well. He make all the right reads faster. Uh, he's become a really good shooter. He's gotten better at creating his own shot. Like, it's hard to. I, I feel like sometimes when I'm trying to describe him to people, it's, it's kind of like hard to understand maybe what I'm saying because I'm just like uh-huh. all the things. You know, uh, he there's just not like a ton of holes here. Uh, in so he even though he's not like a, a super athlete. Uh, in the way that, you know, Jalen Green might be or is, um, you know, just his impact is just so palpable. And it's a lot of the stuff with him is you really just have to go watch him play. Like it helps. Not everyone can see him play live, but like I've just seen him play live so many times that just the little things that he does to win games, it's not really about what his stats are at the end of the day. It's just like his impact is so much higher than anyone else in this draft. Uh, And so for me, that was why he was just number one the whole way. Well, Jeremy Wu, your impact also can't be measured in stats. You're also a special thinker of the game. You're our number one overall pick. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining our open floor after what is always the longest week of the year for you. Uh, you moved back to Chicago. What's the best fried chicken spot in Chicago right now for you, for Jeremy Wu? Uh, I have not had enough time to eat any fried chicken since I've been back. Uh, I mean, I, I got to go with Harold's, like. You know, okay. Grew up in in Hyde Park. You know, uh, gotta gotta go with Harold's. Uh, and just don't go to the Harold's downtown. That one's bad. <laughs> All right, you heard from Jeremy. Don't go no, to the fine. Harold's downtown. Uh, they their business. <laughs> no, 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 I, I think, think you'll I, be fine. I don't know if any of our listeners are Harold's customers who would. Turn. Hopefully, hopefully, at least not in downtown Chicago. Uh, woo! Thank you so much, man. I'm excited to come uh, swing by. See you in Chicago. Uh, take care man open floor listeners thank you so much Uh, we'll be back next week Michael will be back soon don't worry Uh, keep the emails coming openfloormail at gmail.com everyone have a great weekend and uh, get ready for a crazy awesome I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 